0: Well, good morning, friends. It's certainly a joy to be with you here in the Lord's house this morning where he has uh, promised us where he would be. He's promised to meet us here, uh, to be with us in his house and with us among his people. Uh, and so we're thankful uh, that you have uh, chosen to be in the Lord's house this morning. Um, Daryl, I'm the assistant pastor here. Um, get the privilege of uh, bringing the word of the Lord to you this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, um, uh, if you could turn to Mark chapter two, uh, we're going to be in verse 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. Uh, if you don't have a copy of that, it'll also be on the screens. Uh, so let's give our attention this morning to the reading of God's holy word uh, from Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Let's pray together. Uh, Jesus, it's such a bizarre passage, uh, one that sounds so foreign to uh, even my own ears, uh, that this would even be an issue. Uh, And yet I remember uh, very quickly as you remind me through your Holy Spirit um, that I don't rest. Uh, And so this morning, Lord, um, would you wade through the mountains of shame that I feel, uh, the mountains of shame that are certainly uh, in the hearts of your people here, uh, and allow us to see you uh, as the Lord of the Sabbath, you as the one who gives us rest uh, as a delight, uh, who gives us the Sabbath day as a delight uh, and not as a duty. Uh, And Lord, we would leave here rejoicing uh, for the great things you have done. Uh, It's in your name we do pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing on in our spring series here, if you're new with us, we've been walking through uh, different gospel encounters, gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, how he interacted with uh, different kinds of folks, how he interacted with the rich, how did he interact with the poor, how did he interact with women, how did he interact uh, kind of with the religious elite, uh, and what does that say about us and what can we learn uh, from all these things. And so we invite you as we look at these stories that you would come and be curious with us, uh, that you would um, maybe lay aside uh, what you learned uh, kind of in Sunday school and kind of these stories that might be a little familiar, uh, but to look at at them with new eyes, to hear them with new ears and wonder uh, what is God doing? Uh, What is Jesus up to even in my own heart? Uh, And this morning we come to uh, this curious case of the Sabbath day. Uh, The curious case of these Pharisees, uh, the disciples, uh, the Sabbath, and this man with a withered hand. Um, And we ask uh, of Scripture, what can we learn from this? Uh, As Scripture examines us, we are also examining it. Uh, And so this morning we are reminded of something that is fundamental really to our human flourishing. uh, To flourish as a human What is fundamental is the importance of God's commandments as the gateway to all freedom. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, and because Christ is the Lord of the Sabbath, believers can live in the delight of his Sabbath rest. So we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the ritual danger of the Pharisees, the radical reverence given us by Jesus, and restored humanity of our souls Uh, when we listen to these commandments. So uh, danger, reverence, and humanity. Uh, So let's dive into what Mark has for us if we look back at verse 23 here. uh, Jesus and his boys, Jesus and his disciples are walking and they get hungry. Uh, So as they walk through this field of grain of some sort, uh, the disciples begin to have a little snack. They just start to pick the grain. Uh, Luke uh, tells us in his account that they rub it between their hands and then they start to eat it. Uh, this wouldn't have been given a second thought. This wouldn't have been unusual. This is something that would have been a common practice, except that it was the Sabbath day, and those pesky Pharisees, uh, these uh, hall monitors of the ancient world, uh, they saw that this had happened, and they responded, "Well, well, well, tisk, 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 Jesus and your merry band of fishermen. You can't do that. What you just did is not allowed alleged messiah it was your dad who told us uh, that you weren't supposed to work on the sabbath and what these guys are doing is clearly reaping grain and here in paragraph seven line two subpoint a of my what's allowed on the sabbath book that i have in my hand that's not allowed you can't do this it's not allowed lock them up send them to jail they're rule breakers they're sabbath breakers and they're outlaws and see the pharisees They knew the law. They knew the Old Testament. They knew the scriptures. They knew it really well. They knew it kind of frontwards and backwards. Um, And at one point even in the gospels, Jesus even commends their righteousness. And uh, they tried really hard to keep the law. The law being the 10 commandments given us, the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. They, They tried really hard to keep it and really looking kind of at the letter of the law, like as it kind of translates A to B, uh, they actually had some success. In fact, uh, the rabbis had drawn up a catalog of 39 principal works that you could do on the Sabbath. They split those into six subcategories outlining what was and was not lawful to do at the Sabbath. In other words, they would have been real fun at parties. It had been a real good time. Hey, thanks guys. They had a book that just told you, hey, this is allowed, this isn't allowed. And they adhered to those strictly. They were so concerned with upholding the command that God had given them in Exodus 20 to remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. They thought that command so precious that they actually began to construct walls around it that no one could raid and no one could jump and no one could ford. They had created rituals for themselves to maintain their holiness. That's where they went wrong. They had created rituals for themselves to maintain their holiness instead of looking to Jesus who's right in front of them for their holiness. Bible has a name for this and that name is idolatry. The Pharisees had made an idol of their own rules. They had taken something that was good and made it something that was ultimate. This is what idolatry always is for us. It's something good that's then made into something ultimate. And they had completely forgotten what the original intent of God's command was. They may have not been busy plucking grain on the Sabbath, but they were busy inside the cathedral of their heart. Because inside the cathedral, their heart sat an idol in the place where God is intended to dwell. And when good things, like keeping the rules, become ultimate things, that's when we get into trouble. Because scripture tells us that what that is, is worship. And then scripture tells us, you become like what you worship. And the Pharisees worshiped being right far more than than doing what was right. Pharisees had made a law for themselves and saddled the rest of the world with these same rules. See, they didn't care really. They didn't give one lick about the Jesus who stood in front of them because they believed that they worked hard enough, they could work Jesus out of a job. Hey, if we keep these laws and we do what's right and we do that perfectly, then we don't have any need for Jesus. They wouldn't need him, why would they need some son of a carpenter who was born to a teenage mom who didn't even have a house? Why would they look to him for advice when they knew where to get it? They could look at their little rule book. They didn't need Jesus. They knew that if it were to be, then it was up to me. In other words, this is the original hustle culture. This is hustle culture. It isn't something new, this is ancient. Just grind, grind it out, work hard. Never let them see a sweat. Pain is just weakness leaving the body. The only place success comes before work is in the dictionary, blah, blah, blah. All those stupid Instagram platitudes that you were hit with all the time. The Pharisees made this up, right? They made this, it wasn't Kardashian, that Kardashian lady. People just need to work harder. Just shut up. (laughs) They had looked at the Sabbath command to rest and said, no, I'm not interested in that and it's the same for me and it's likely the same for you. We're just a little classier about it. We're just a little classier about it because one of the chief temptations that we have to be defined is to be defined by what we do. And it is like honey to our lips when somebody notices it. Oh man, it's like a bump of Coke. Like it is so good when somebody notices it. When somebody notices what we do, the Pharisees loved being seen as the folks who had it all together. They love being seen as the folks who had it all together. I said it before, the Pharisees would make great neighbors. Pharisees would have been great roommates. They would have never left a dish in the sink. We all want Pharisees for kids because they're well-behaved. And they had made an idol out of being right and that idol was being assaulted. But here's the thing, it wasn't necessarily being assaulted by the people around them. It was being assaulted by God himself and they were mad. They were mad and you get mad and I get mad when Jesus looks at the thing that we hold most dear and says, I'm coming after that. That thing that you have your hand gripped around, I'm about to come and take it. And the Pharisees were furious about this because scripture is gonna tell us time and time again that though you're prone to idolatry, your idols are always going to fail you. They will demand more and more and more and more until we are left with nothing to give. And they transform us into their own image and then they will leave. Because you know what it looks like when someone worships money? They look like it. When someone worships the environment, they look like it. And we worship busyness and we look like it. We look like it. We're so frantic. We can't rest, we can't sit down our response to, hey man, what's going on? I don't know much, man, I'm busy. Spring break was great, but man, it was busy. I'm just waiting on things to slow down. It's a badge of honor that we wear and the Pharisees had become hardened to things of God because they didn't really want the things of God. The ritual danger had captured their heart and Jesus is showing them that the way out of ritual danger is not to flee from the Sabbath, but actually to enter into it more deeply. That radical reverence is the way out of ritual danger, which is gonna bring us to our second point this morning, radical reverence. If we look at verses 25 and following here, it shows Christ's response to the Pharisees and their accusations. And he doesn't come at them with like a, hey, here's the actual rules. He doesn't just spit facts at them. He tells them a story Hey Pharisees, you're so mad. Do you remember David? You remember David, King David, the guy that you adore? Uh, The guy whose poster would have been on your wall? Remember how he and his mighty men were on the run from Saul, and then they saw this ceremonial bread in the temple and they were starving and they ate it. Was David sinful in doing that? They were hungry. They needed to eat, and there was a loaf of bread in front of them, so they did it. Was David sinning, Pharisees? And am I not the greater David? So if it's okay for David to do it, how much more is it okay for me and my men to do it? Because mercy is always allowed on the Sabbath. And my men were hungry, and it's an act of mercy to give them food when they're hungry. The Pharisees had lost all sense that the Sabbath was given as a kindness and not as a, as not, and not as a duty. That it was given as a kindness. And the command was given not because they didn't know how to work. The command for the Sabbath was given because we don't know how to rest. We got the work part down. We crushed that but we don't know how to rest. And Jesus is saying that the ceremonial part of the law has been fulfilled in me, which means it was provisional for a time, but the moral commandment given in the Sabbath to keep it holy and to rest, that still applies. And the Pharisees, you're not doing it. You've taken my gifts, you've turned them into burdens because the Sabbath was made for man, Jesus says, and not the other way around. And the idol that you've constructed for yourself the idol of working for your own righteousness is going to be your downfall. I'm giving you a warning, Pharisees. It's going to be your downfall because I love my people too much to allow them to saddle themselves with this yoke of slavery any longer. Because radical reverence to the Sabbath is going to look as foreign to us as like a right-hand drive car because we're not, necessarily in danger i don't believe of keeping the sabbath too much because we're americans right we don't do that we're in danger of not acknowledging it at all it's not that we keep it too much it's that we don't even acknowledge it at all even when we hear it spoken of it seems like advice and not a command it's like when someone tells me i need to eat kale i'm like i appreciate the advice but i'm never going to do that Like I'm not, I'll never do that. Stop it. I'll never do it. The Sabbath hits us that way. Hey, you guys really need to rest. Hey, thanks, man. I got a travel ball game to get to. Just leave me alone. Get me out of here. It's given to us as a command, but we see it as advice. That if we rest, it would be good to us instead of seeing it as Jesus commanding us to rest. Because that is the only way we'll do it. It's like when you have to spike a kid down for a nap, they're just so mad. Like you just need to sleep, just go in there and shut the door. Like what's wrong with you, go take a nap. Jesus comes to us and says, the only way that you'll stop is if I tell you to do it. And if you keep going and going and going, you're gonna fall asleep anyway because you can't keep this pace. In Exodus 20, the commandments are given as a recreation of the new world that God is establishing. That they are given as this recipe of human flourishing and that grace and mercy are the two hands that hold up the tablets. Because listen to how God, when Moses is recounting this, starts the 10 commandments. He doesn't start with the first commandment. He starts with this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. He starts the commandments with grace. Grace and mercy are dripping off that verse like honey off a beehive. Israel, people of God, see that it is me who has saved you. See that I could let your slavery and imprisonment go no further See that for 400 years you stood underneath the oppressive rule of a foreign dictator and I intervened for you to save you and to keep you and to establish you for no other reason than I love you. And because of that what I ask is that you don't run to other gods. Commandments one and two. Because I have saved you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery I ask that you remember my name has Power. Commandment three, because I have brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery where for 400 years you didn't take a day off, I want you to rest, I want you to rest. Jesus is giving us this commandment in this list of 10 pretty big deals. God is saying in this that a nation that doesn't know how to rest is just as weird and as bad as a nation that goes around killing each other. That if God's people don't know how to rest, it's as weird and as bad as God's people walking around killing each other. Because when God rested, as we're told, as we read earlier, when God rested in the creation story, he rested not because he was tired, he rested because he was satisfied. And God comes to us and says, I want you to take one day out of seven to look and just be satisfied in my creation. To look and see that you're not defined by what you do. And that the rules you keep instead, uh, you're not defined by what you do or by the rules you keep, but instead you are defined by by the maker of the universe, that you are accepted and loved and adopted and justified and declared righteous and made sanctified and soon to be made glorified by what Jesus has done for you and not what you do for yourself. And because of this, we can start our week by resting in what God has done for us and seeing that the world isn't gonna blow up if we go to sleep. That you'll go to sleep tonight and unless the Lord comes back, Tomorrow, the world's still gonna be there. God is saying, you need to rest. Because God works when we're resting. The world holds together because Jesus speaks and tells it to, not because we get our spreadsheets in. The world holds together because Jesus tells us to, not because you know the right outfits to send, like, to wear, for your kid to wear to school. The world holds together because Jesus tells it to, not because of anything that we do. Radical reverence to the Sabbath like that brings about restored humanity. This is what the Pharisees were missing. They wanted reverence to the Sabbath so they can look good. Jesus is saying, I want you to revere the Sabbath so that humanity can be restored. And Mark gives us one more story of this, which is our third uh, point this morning uh, restored humanity. Mark gives us one more story here to contemplate in, uh, Mark chapter three, verses one through six, that Jesus is in the synagogue. Uh, he's teaching and a man with some sort of hand deformity approaches him. The Pharisees are there again. They're up to their old tricks. Uh, Jesus heals this man as Jesus is known to do. And then the Pharisees are upset again, except this time they don't question Jesus. They don't run and confront Jesus. They look at how they're gonna destroy this guy. I think, Pharisees, there's a commandment that tells you not to do that. They don't care about that anymore. We gotta get this guy out of here. We got to kill. We have to destroy him, as Mark says. They consulted with the Herodians in how they might destroy him. This is crazy. I recently got into Survivor. 42 seasons too late I found out on Hulu I don't know if y'all know about this show there's a show called Survivor they live on an island um, and they like always oh, the, my favorite part about the show is they're always creating these alliances and I'm too much of an Enneagram six I'm like you guys are idiots of course they're going to stab you in the back that's how this works haven't you watched the 41 other seasons uh, and they're always creating these alliances to see how they can sort of use it for their own advantage and get ahead This is what the Pharisees are doing. They go and consult the Herodians, which would have been insane for a Pharisee to do. They were Herod Jews, but what they wanted was for someone from Herod's line to always be the king of Israel, which is not in scripture at all. The Pharisees always wanted someone from the line of David, they thought, to be on the throne of Israel, which would have been right, and so the Pharisees and the Herodians would have been political opponents. They were interested, the Herodians, only in political power. They didn't care about the kingdom politics uh, of Judaism. They just wanted Herod on the throne. The Pharisees wanted David. They wanted power. Herodians wanted peace. And they both hated Jesus. Jesus. And instead of sitting and rest long enough to see that Jesus is the one to fulfill both their desires, they just wanted to kill him. They wanted Jesus to leave them alone. And the only way to do that is to get rid of him altogether. So friends, this morning, what do we run to so Jesus will leave us alone? What alliances do we run to? What sins do we run to? What deals do we make to try to get Jesus to leave us alone? Because that's the promise that the devil made in the garden to Adam and Eve. Hey, listen to me, trust me. Just eat that fruit and you'll be like God and you won't die. This is the promise of idolatry. You're going to be like God. You can make the rules and you're going to live forever. And the Pharisees bought into that, that they'll be like God if they do everything right. And then he has to bless them. But grace comes in and mercy comes in and says, you can't do either of those things. You can't be like God. There's not enough work on this side of heaven that can make you like God. And Jesus looks at us and he says, but here's what I'm gonna do. I can become like you. I will become like you so that you can have the riches and the mercy and the grace and the justice and the rightness that I experience every moment from forever. I will become like you and live amongst you and keep the law for you and then I will take your sin and your guilt and your shame and your filthy rag righteousness on myself so that I can clothe you in the righteousness that I have known from forever. You can't become like God, but Jesus looks at us and says I'm gonna become like you. So friends this morning let's ask ourselves to whom do we look to compensate for what we are not? What lies of the devil have we believed? The busyness of our hearts is why our lives are so busy. It's not because your calendar's full, it's because your heart's empty. The busyness of our lives is what keeps us so busy. So could there be a place in the cathedral of our hearts where instead on the throne in the center of our hearts where busyness and doing and performance and travel and friends and being liked and being famous and being safe and being secure and being good or being woke or being Republican or being Democrat or being in the Whig party. I miss the wigs. Instead of those things occupying the throne in the cathedral of your heart, what would it be like for Jesus to be the one who sits there? For Jesus to be the one who sits with outstretched hands and bids us to return to him, to enter his rest, to see his Sabbath command as not as a burden, but as a delight. To ask what would it look like to rest from all the normative things that the world demands of me? all those normative things that I do the six other days of the week, what would it look like to rest from those things and instead to see Jesus as our rest? To see Jesus as the one who has accomplished rest for us, to see Jesus as the Sabbath rest that we enter into. This is what Hebrews 4 says to us. That Jesus is the Sabbath rest that we enter into, that we can stop and say, Jesus has done this for me. That we can come here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening with the people of God and to sit with him for an hour and to let him love on us. Because here's the thing, you're free from God's wrath if you're a Christian this morning. but You're not free from his love. You can't get away from it. and He's not gonna let you. He's called the great hound of heaven. He's gonna chase you down. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. For no other reason than he loves you because he loves you. He doesn't love you for what you can do for him. You can't do anything for him. He loves you because he loves you. So this morning, friends, let us lay our deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. The hymn writer John Newton wrote, and stand in him and in him alone, gloriously complete. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you do this for us? Would you slow our hearts down enough to see, one, all the things that we worship instead of you, and two, to see you destroy those things? To see you sit there and say, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus, in the remaining, uh, remainder of our time together, would you be Sabbath rest for our souls? Let it be honey to our lips, let it be water to our parched souls. Uh, and we can see you as beautiful and believable uh, and the one who really loves us. That's in your name, we do pray. Amen.